all, it's a great pleasure to introduce to some of you for the first time, Ton Molina. Uh, many of you heard, heard him preach a couple years ago. We had him here. Uh, he is a, a pastor um, uh, in Spain. Uh, but where it all started was he heard a dear friend of Brian Sheely and I's, um, Steve Fernandez, preach uh, in Spain. And uh, Steve is a hero of mine. Um, and, and Brian's, he was a great exalter of Christ through exposition of the scriptures. And, and that drew Ton to want to know more about our seminary. And so Ton came to Vallejo, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area there. And he began to do seminary there. Uh, my first class that I was teaching, I had him in it. He stayed one class and left. Uh, who is this guy? Uh, anyway, he was in the wrong class or something. But uh, anyway, I got to know him through the years, got to teach him and many other opportunities. And we, we had the great privilege of training him and sending him back to Spain. And that's one of the things we do with our seminaries. Our goal is not to have men come from other countries and, and, here and stay here in the wealth of America. Our goal is to train them and send them back. And now Ton is training hundreds of men in different applications uh, over in Spain because their ministry saw it fit to send him to us, let us train him for those three years and send him back. And now the ministry continues to blossom. So Ton is a dear, precious brother. Uh, we were speaking, I, we picked them up, Gina, I picked them up in North Carolina yesterday and, and then drove down us in the bucket trucks going south. Uh, that was all that was coming this way. Uh, but as we spoke, it was so fun because we thought this conversation could be in, a, in a Spain, uh, in, in Leon, uh, in your churches, uh, as well as it's here because we're so like-minded. And it isn't because we have some kind of secret handshake. <laughs> it's because we believe this. <laughs> And we believe Christ should be exalted every time we preach it. And that has knitted our hearts together. And though we don't get to see each other too often, we speak on the phone and email back and forth, um, we pick up right where we left off. And I know you're going to enjoy his preaching of the word. He has a wife named Karen. She was uh, uh, raised in Seattle, Washington, went overseas on short-term mission, met that guy, and ended up staying there. <laughs> <laughs> He's, they're married, have five children. They are a great blessing. And I hope you enjoy him as much as I do. They have a special treat, and they're going to sing with our worship team at the end. So, so stick around. It's going to be good. Ton, will you come up and preach the word for us? Good morning, everyone. It is um, truly a privilege and joy to be here with you all. And um, I bring greetings, olas, hola, from the saints and Iglesia Evangelica de Leon in Leon, Spain. I also come with two other brothers, Jonathan, Jonathan Recaman, and Pablo. Jonathan is a pastor for hours. Uh, west from where I am from in uh, the area of Galicia. It would be like the Seattle of Spain, the northwest, rainy, green, cold, and lots of water. And the Lord is blessing his ministry there. Jona and I um, are serving the Lord together through our seminary, Berea Seminary in Leon, Spain. And Pablo uh, has um, wanted, really wanted to come and uh, meet the saints here. And then we're going to California. Pablo is one of our students in our seminary, and he's in his uh, really fourth year, 
and uh, it's a true joy to train men and, and, and serve in the local church in Iglesia Evangelica de Leon, Leon Evangelical Church. And I've come uh, all over from Spain to open the Word of God and preach the Word. So let's open our Bibles in Psalm 110. Psalm 110. I perfectly remember back in 2012 when I was reading the news. Back then, I could still read the news because I had only three kids. Now I cannot do that anymore. And I was reading about an exciting discovery uh, in the little city of Ota in the country of Norway. What happened there? What happened is that a 100-year-old time capsule was discovered. You know what a time capsule is, right? It's a recipient where you put messages or secrets, items to be found for later generations. It's really a glorified version of our washing machines and it's dozens of socks that we lose mysteriously. That happens here too, right? That happens. Where are they? Maybe in the new heaven and earth there is a special place for those socks that we lose, but... Back in Norway, there was great expectation in the opening of this capsule. What does it contain? Gold? A secret? Secret mystery solved? And finally, between laughs, it was confirmed that such mystery, such capsule didn't contain gold or silver or a big mystery, just a few papers and, and documents. And... A local newspaper expressed the following. They said, so much expectation, so much noise, so many lovers of conspiration theories. But the truth is that this time capsule is no more than a personal archive from the old mayor of the city. So much expectation turned into a great disappointment. Allow me to say that our psalm today is sort of a time capsule written by King David. King David moved by the Holy Spirit. But this is a prophecy that would not disappoint because it's going to reveal the truth about one person that is going to exceed infinitely all our expectations. This person, this person is no other than our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read this Psalm 110 that says the following, a Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, verse 1 says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the, of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Let's pray. We need the Lord's help this morning. Let's pray briefly. 
We do need you, Lord. I desperately need you here on the pulpit. I am so weak. There is nothing I can say in my own strength that can make a change in anybody's hearts without the power of your Holy Spirit. So please, Lord, help us to understand your word. I don't mind. I don't care if I not remember in the future, but that these people, these dear brothers and sisters, remember your word, who Christ is, how glorious he is, that we are going to be amazed at who he is now, today, tomorrow, and the rest of the eternity. Help us. We need you desperately. So many distractions in our weeks and our minds that we need to be focused. Help us through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm shows us this morning three truths about our Lord Jesus Christ that surpasses all our expectations. We're going to be seeing three, three, three uh, truths that are going to amaze us at who Jesus Christ is. And the first truth is that our Lord Jesus Christ is king. This is what verses 1 through 3 tell us, that he is King and he's a king vindicated by, by his father God. We, we now, today, the church, we possess the whole counsel of God in the form of our Bible. But let's put ourselves for a moment in David's shoes. He's right now revealing an amazing truth that will occur in the future, in his future. Imagine now a conversation between the father and the son. And David is on a corner taking notes. And he writes this. The Lord says to my Lord. And David, we know, he's writing, not in Spanish. He should, though. But he's writing in, in Hebrew language. And he writes that Yahweh, God the Father... The God of Israel, the great I am, is talking to Adonai. There are two different words in the original. Yahweh is talking to Adonai. Adonai is God, uh, is the Lord, God the Son, the Lord of David. And if we read in our NASB or ESV, simply say the Lord to my Lord, right? But these are two different names in the uh, original. And in this, in this scene... Uh, this is what is happening. God the Father is talking to God the Son, and he is asking him to occupy his rightful place at the throne. What does he say? Look at the, the verse 1. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, why should this verse fascinate us? Why should this verse amaze us? Well, first, because before writing this psalm, God has told David that he had chosen his family to create a dynasty of kings. And an eternal, an eternal and perfect kingdom. A kingdom of everlasting peace whose king will reign forever. And we read this in 2 Samuel 7. And guess what? David is not such king. His son Solomon was not that king. His great son, his great great sons are not those kings because they all died. None was able to establish that promised eternal kingdom. Why? 
because only a king that lives eternally and perfectly can have an eternal and a perfect kingdom. This verse should fascinate us, secondly, because as the text says, David calls to his descendant, Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't call Lord to my kids or my, grand, my grandkids if I had them. But David, being the king of God's chosen and powerful people, he's referring to his descendant as my Lord. This implies that such descendant must be very important, right? And this verse should fascinate us thoroughly because God the Father is asking the Son, sit at my right hand. What is this? Whoever sits at the right hand of a king shares his same authority. So here we're contemplating now a scene where a royal coronation is taking place. Fourthly, this verse should amaze us because think about this. Think, think about this for a second. Does God the Son need that God the Father grants him the authority of a king? And that he, as the verse says, makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. The footstool, by the way, is the place where the king rests his feet. Some kings will literally use enemies under their feet as a sign of victory over them. But does the son, the second person of a trinity, need to be vindicated? Does he need to be defended? The answer is no. Why? Because the son is God. Because the son is perfect. Because the son is infinite. He is God himself, like the father, like the spirit. So what are we talking about here? Who is David talking about? I know you're uh, going through the Gospel of Mark. And in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, Jesus said about himself that he is the Messiah. And therefore, he is son or descendant of David. In other words, he is human. He is a man. But also, Jesus is the son of of God. And guess what? Jesus, in this uh, verse in Mark 12, he's quoting one verse. Do you know which one? Guess what? Psalm 110, verse 1. Therefore, the Father here is vindicating, he's validating the man, the Messiah, Jesus, as man. The second person of the Trinity is God. Amen to that. He needs nothing. He is perfect. He is infinite. But as Romans 1, 3 and 4 says, Jesus was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. In other words, he was born like any other baby, a human, and was declared the son of God by power by the resurrection from the dead. Dear church, the second person of the Trinity became man. His name is Jesus. He lived. He died on a cross, was resurrected. He ascended back to heaven as a man like you and I. And then Psalm 110, 1. The father said to him, sit 
at my right hand. I exalt you as men in the same way. You are already exalted as God, so reign with me, my dear son. Observe the text with me for a second. He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 2, the Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. God the Father is exalting the Lord of David, the Son, the God-man, and tells him to sit at his right hand until... The Father defeats every single enemy. And the Father then, the verse says, will extend the scepter, the staff of the king. He will extend it to the Son. And this is a demonstration of supreme authority while the king's son is reigning, ruling over his enemies. And the Father, therefore, gives the kingdom to the Son and he will reign. This is a mind-blowing scene right here. The father is vindicating the son king. And look with me in verse 3, where David explains that the king will be served by his people in a kingdom of peace and prosperity never seen before. A kingdom that will surpass all our expectations where we, his people, look at verse 3, says, Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. Verse 3 refers to God's people, a, a people that will worship him. Redeem people, holy people, strong and vigorous people, fresh and young like the dew in the morning. We, his people, his church, will witness the victory of our king and we will joyfully, gladly serve him. We will be in awe constantly with Christ's power, defeating his enemies and establishing this kingdom of peace. Revelation 5.10 says that Christ has made a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. And then almost at the end of Revelation 26, 20 verse 6 says that we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And we will live then on the new heaven and new earth with our King, King Jesus Christ forever. Doesn't this surpass all your expectations? We will never, ever be disappointed with Christ, ever. King David put this mind-blowing Psalm 110 in this time capsule, and, and he gave us a reality that surpasses all expectations for us believers. Yeah, I am sure, I, I picture David so excited by knowing that the promises given by God to Abraham, the promises given to himself, promises of establishing a new nation, an eternal kingdom, countless 
people like the stars in the sky, a kingdom of unconceivable joy and peace. All of this has an answer in David's descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord. And for us this morning, this should excite us as well. We are his people today here. We enjoy God's promises as Gentiles. We believe that Christ, the Son of God, the true Savior, the true Messiah, the God-man, he is going to reign forever. And we Christians, listen, we will enjoy an indescribable privilege with our God forever. And people from every language, from every nation, through history, we all, you and I, we will be serving him with our hearts bursting of joy daily. And this reality church has to bring worship right now to our king. This reality also has to bring joy and security even in the midst of our affliction. So let this truth of Christ, the King who's going to reign forever, let this truth sink in our hearts. Let this truth bring rest and peace to you that are suffering today. Because no matter how big your pain is, at this very moment. It is written. Our future is written along with our Lord and King Jesus Christ. But also may this truth bring weight in our hearts. Because I don't know you. And I don't know your situation. But in my case, I feel every day that I don't serve my King in the way that he deserves, that I don't love and live according to his perfection. There are many days that I feel the worst sinner on the face of the earth. And I need to be reminded of who he is. And I, mean, I need to be reminded to serve him with all my heart today in the same way as I will do it in the eternity. And I need to come repent, repent in my heart once again, trusting in the eternal and infinite work of my King on the cross. All of this comes by having a high concept of Christ. Do you have a high concept of Christ? Does he surpass all your expectations? If not, we must meditate in our hearts First, if we truly know the God of the Bible, because he is infinitely glorious. And whoever drinks his water will never, never be thirsty again. He or she, whoever comes to him, will be eternally satisfied. We will bring honor to him forever. Somebody said, Jesus is your Lord. You are his and he is yours. However, he is not your body. He is Lord and master. You are servant and a disciple. 
He's infinitely more glorious than you. His throne has an influence on you, both in your present life as well as in the eternal reward that he has given you. Therefore, your king must be honored, confessed, obeyed, served, and worshipped. Think about that TV show that you love so much and you don't want to tell anybody else. I remember this soap opera. I know. One in particular back in the 90s, I think. Don't laugh at me. Don't judge me. The name of the soap opera was Santa Barbara. (laughs) Yes, you're laughing because you know. I didn't like that TV show at all, but I remember... I, I do remember the beginning of the show when the, the voice off would say the title and the episode's number. Santa Barbara. Then I lost count on episode 2,000. Yes, 2,000 episodes. People didn't have enough of that. They wanted more and needed more. Okay, you don't like TV shows. Th- think about that dessert that you love so much. There is never enough of that dessert. And you hide during the church potlucks, right, to eat it all by yourself. Somebody comes and asks for it. You never have enough of it. Well, even in the middle of our eternity, two billion years into eternity, we will be still amazed, astonished every single day of who our king is. We will discover, we will discover constantly more and more of him because he is infinite. He is glorious. And you know, we can watch too much Netflix. We can definitely eat too much dessert. And as much as we do this, besides of being killed by diabetes, none of us will ever be fully satisfied with anything in life. Nothing is going to satisfy you in this life. Nothing will. Nobody will. Nada. Entertainment. Food. Relationships. Money. Family. Nothing but in the right measure, right? But none of this will surpass our expectations but our Lord Jesus Christ. We will never love him too much. We will never worship him too much. Everything else can be easily turned into an idol. We're professionals at turning things into idols. But with Christ, the Father says, worship the Son. The Holy Spirit says, worship Christ. And by worshiping Christ, putting the focus on Christ, we bring glory to the triune God. Because there is no jealousy within the Trinity. The Father exalts the Son. The Holy Spirit exalts the Son. The Son submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits. So if somebody accuses us of focusing too much on Christ to the detriment of the Father or the Spirit, is, you know what, because this person doesn't understand the Trinity at all. Christ is fully God, fully man, fully king, and Christ surpasses all our expectations if we truly know him. 
And if that's the case, you will voluntarily submit to him right here, right now, today. And I say this, I say this because, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ is not a king waiting in exile. We had a king in Spain in the 20th century that was on exile. He was in Portugal, actually. Yes. Christ is not a king waiting. He, he's not a king seated on the throne board like my five kids on a cold rainy Saturday in February. Jesus is not asking the Father, Father, how long more until I judge? No, Christ is king today. Right now, he is victorious now. He is on the move now. How do we know this? Well, the Bible tells us, of course. Think about this. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that Christ is fulfilling his sovereign will along with the Father and the Spirit this very moment. The Bible says that Christ sustains all things with the word of his power. The Bible says that he is the head, he's the Lord of the church, and he controls the church. That he has a kingdom where the Father is transferring his saved ones. First, we are in the kingdom positionally, and one day we will be in the kingdom physically there. The Bible says that Christ is our advocate before the Father, that he is our present help in need, in weakness, before temptation, because Christ understands us, and he empowers us to defeat sin one step at a time. The Bible says that he possesses all authority on heaven and earth. The Bible says that Christ waits patiently and mercifully to add more to his kingdom. Don't tell me that he doesn't surpass all your expectations. And Christ today, right now, is exercising a ministry for you and I. Ministry that this Psalm 110 clearly tells us and give us actually the second truth about our Lord Jesus Christ that surpasses all our expectations. And the first one is that he is king. The second truth we find in verse 4 is that our Lord Jesus is priest. He is priest. Verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. If you were raised like I was in a Roman Catholic society, this word priest is kind of strange. It's going to transport you to a world of incense and dark buildings, cathedrals, and men dressed quite in an unusual way. But it's nothing far from reality. The Old Testament teaches us that the priest served God, making sure that the law was taught and the sacrifices were made according to his law. And, and within the priests, we find the figure of the high priest. And his most important role was to come into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle later on in the temple, right? Once a year, he was in the presence of Yahweh over the Ark of the Covenant, what for? To expiate 
In other words, to clean, to purify his own sins and Israel's sins and to be reconciled again from God and his holy wrath. And this had to be done year after year after year. And when the high priest died, another would come and take his place. And now, once again, let's put ourselves in David's shoes. He must be amazed in awe as he's writing these truths. Why do I say this? I say this first because the same God, the Father, that has seated God the Son, the man, and has declared him as king over all. Now God is swearing by his own name that the Son is going to be a priest forever. Meaning that a descendant of David, from David's tribe, which is Judah, not Levi that it should be, a descendant of David is going to be a priest, an eternal priest, not a temporal, temporal priest. In the same way that only an eternal king can have an eternal kingdom, only an eternal priest can have an eternal priestly ministry. And there is only one man that meets these requirements and expectations. Once again, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be amazed at this verse, in, secondly, because, as I said, this descendant will be a priest, not from the tribe of Levi, but from, the text says, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is sort of a mysterious man that shows up all of a sudden in Genesis 14. We know the story, right? Abraham is liberating his nephew Lot from the kings, and he comes back from the battle in Genesis 14, 18, we read that Melchizedek, king of Shalem, which is ancient Jerusalem, and he's also a priest of the Lord Most High. This man shares food with them and blesses Abraham and his family. So in this scene, we find a king slash priest at the same time. And this was forbidden later on in the Mosaic law. So what's happening here I know this is a little bit complicated. I hope and pray that I'm explaining myself because this is important. What is happening here? Why is David mentioning this man, Melchizedek, referring to his, to his Lord? And the answer comes with the abolition of the old covenant. Christ finished it. He fulfilled the old covenant in his life. And he started a new covenant covenant that we remember with the bread and the wine. And by abolishing the old covenant, the old priestly order of Levi was not, was, I'm sorry, was abolished as well. So this oath that we are reading here is so important that the New Testament, uh, actually the author of Hebrews, refers to this oath five times. And really spend six chapters from 5 to 10 to explain why is it important that Jesus is priest according to the Melchizedek and not Levi. Why there are no more priests from the abolished Old Testament law. Why the old priests were sinners to. And he explains why Jesus Christ is the new and definitive high priest. Okay, this is what is happening, brothers and sisters. 
the Son becomes man. And he lived a perfect life as a man. A man like you and I, but without sin. Nevertheless, he was unjustly declared guilty and died on a cross like a criminal. But in God's perfect and sovereign plan, such death was conceived as a substitution for the sins of his chosen people. So God the Father sees the Son as a lamb, a lamb without blemish or spot. But even though he sees him perfect, you know what happens on the cross, right? His infinite wrath falls upon his precious son. And the son endured the cross, the wrath that you and I deserve. All the hell that you and I deserve for our sin, Jesus suffered it entirely. So no more sacrifices are needed because he, Christ, becomes the ultimate and perfect and infinite sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. You tell me now who on earth can do this? Tell me now if our Lord Jesus doesn't surpass your expectations. But wait, there is more. There is always more with Jesus, right? The veil of the temple, the separation between the holy place and the holy of holies is broken, is turned in two from top to bottom. The Father breaks it. So the Son, once resurrected, doesn't have to go to the temple made by man, a mere copy of the true temple in heaven itself. So now Jesus resurrected comes back to his father before his presence. He's the first in the line, and we all follow him. And as Hebrews 8.1 says, we have a high priest that is seated at the right hand of the throne of the, of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is priest. Jesus is king. And his death and resurrection is the final and irrefutable proof of his divinity, his kinship, his eternal priestly ministry. And his arriving to heaven was the beginning of an exaltation of the eternal ovation that he deserves. In the same way we applaud, give a standing ovation to an amazing artist or a team that won the Super Bowl when they come back home, right? Heaven exploded in applause, an ovation, and worship, and adoration with the Son coming in victory. Victory that He won in His own right and effort, and whose repercussions are eternal for us. Dear family, Christ is not going to retire like Michael Jordan did at the top of his game. He, he killed my childhood. Michael Jordan playing baseball? Sorry, brother, baseball is fun, but what? No, Jesus is not going to retire. He will always be our high priest. 
because, he, because his father has said, I will not change my mind. He swore by himself. He won't take it back. You know, I changed my mind in many ways, in many uh, occasions. I'm sorry that you change your mind too in things. But the son will intercede for us today, tomorrow, and always. So what does this imply for us? All of this implies that we have access to the new holy of holies. And this is not in a temple of Jerusalem, but this is the very throne of the holy God. How come? Only because the Father sees us clean. Because he has declared us righteous in Christ. The Son purchased us with his blood. We have access right now, every moment of our lives. And this means also that if you have repented of your sins, you, have, you can have and you must have confidence. Live with confidence before the very throne of God, the throne of grace. Because we have direct access to ask for mercy and help in our biggest need, in our biggest trial, in our biggest temptation every day. Access. That Christ is priest means for you and I today that our salvation is secured. Is secured because of what the Son did. Hebrews 6.10 says that God is not unjust so as to forget the eternal reward. Eternal reward that he promised to Abraham, to David, and he promises to us today in the Word. And such hope is firm and is sure. It is an anchor of the soul. Because Christ is powerful to save always and to intercede always. This means that if you are his... He will not turn back if you have sinned again, and you will sin again. He's not going to turn his back on you. If you are his, God is not going to think it twice in the middle of the eternity, and he's not going to decide all the time to throw you into the lake of fire. Because, because he has sworn by his own name that he won't do it. And the Son is the ultimate proof of your assurance of salvation. So look at Christ and rest. Rest in your salvation, secured by Him. And you have doubts, doubts of your salvation. You know, theology matters. Because to understand that Christ is King and Priest... And the, that he has secured your salvation is going to help you. It's going to help you to be firm in your faith. And it's going to encourage not only yourself when you preach the gospel once again to yourself. And you're going to also encourage your brothers and sisters to be firm in the hope of the eternal life. And you're going to stimulate uh, one another to love and good deeds. All these applications are coming actually from the book of Hebrews. But also that Christ is the eternal priest implies that however much somebody has done a profession of faith or says that he's a Christian or that believes in God, but his, her lifestyle 
says otherwise. Such person is ignoring the Savior. Such, such person is despising him and, and his eternal sacrifice and kingship. And the Lord says that he will judge such person. And it would be a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And this is precisely what David says at the end of the Psalm 110. David has said that Christ is king and this should surpass all our expectations. David has written that Christ is priest and this should surpass all our expectations about who he is. But also the third truth in this Psalm is that Christ is judge. He is judge. And this also has to surpass all our expectations. Look at verse 5 and 6. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. So once again, David puts this truth in this time capsule that is the psalm. And as we open it today, knowing God's full revelation in his word, we can't but be fascinated. And the good news is that today, right now, is still the day of salvation. The good news is that if you believe in Christ, if you repent today, right now, and I beg you, friend, because you know what? I came all the way from España from Spain, to tell you the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if you fall before Jesus, you will be forgiven. You will be saved from eternal condemnation in hell. But the bad news are for those that don't, want, don't repent, don't believe in Jesus Christ as God, Lord, Savior, King, priest, judge, and such persons will surely fall into the hands of the living God. And this language in this song could hardly be more vivid, right? Verse 5 is pretty warlike. The Lord will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. I should say that to my kids. Christ is the executing arm of the Father. He is the judge, the just, just. Again, he is the just judge. And also, he's a warrior. He's like a new Joshua whose patience will reach a limit. And when the time comes, there will be no strong enemy on earth. All will be shattered in the day of his wrath. Pastor Scott read this text in Revelation. Revelation 19, 15, again says that from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Because he's the king and he's the Lord. And these texts in Revelation or other texts like Psalm chapter 2 with a similar language do you know what they teach us? They teach us that Jesus is no longer a baby in the manger. That he has grown. That he is king. That he is priest. That he is Lord and he is judge. And he is a warrior. And that he will overcome. 
and establish the kingdom given by his father. And Christ has surpassed in an infinite way every expectation. He is the just judge. In verse 7, tells us that he's an exalted judge. Look at verse 7. He says that he would drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And this verse pictures a satisfied conqueror. I come from land of conquerors. You know, these warriors. They, and this verse pictures this. A conqueror that has control over everything around him. Only a warrior that has defeated all his enemies can be this calm. Like in this verse. Leaning over a stream. Drinking. Being satisfied after a victory. And then lifting up his head as a sign of honor and victory from the one, the only one who deserves to be exalted over all. Brothers and sisters, Christ is not going to retire at the top, at the top of his game like Michael Jordan. Quite the opposite. He will be always on top of the podium as the victor he is. He will defeat all enemy, and us, dear church, we, we admire him and worship him for the rest of the eternity because he is a triumphant judge. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged. Revelation 19, 1, 2. And the judge of the world who fear, first received judgment from his father in our place. What a price he paid so he can worship him today and forever as judge over his enemies. So he can, we can worship him forever because the fathers, he judged him justly. His wrath fell upon Christ you know what? He didn't fail upon you or I. Doesn't he deserve all the glory, brothers and sisters? Doesn't he surpass all our expectations? It was about five years ago when precisely in Norway, a couple bought a house. And in the attic of that house, they found a beautiful painting. And as they were investigating this painting, they discovered that it had been purchased by a Norwegian businessman back in 1908. And this man thought he was buying a Van Gogh, the artist. But the experts of that time rejected him, and he was abandoned for many years. But thanks to the perseverance of this couple and the advance of the techniques, the authenticity of this Van Gogh was corroborated. Sunset at Montmajor. That's the name of the painting. And it's valued now by over $50 million. What a surprising discovery, right? Now think about this. A man lived on earth 2,000 years ago. He was rejected, abandoned, ignored, and even worse, he was killed as a criminal. But in God's predetermined, predetermined plan... Such humiliation signified the starting point of this man's vindication as king, priest, and judge. He is the Lord 
Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord, our Savior, our and he's coming back. He's coming back as a victorious warrior, and he will show his true value way more than $50 million because he's infinitely more precious and valuable than our highest expectations. And we all have expectations, right? We expect a restful vacation with our family. We expect a fun day with our spouse. We expect a blast at summer camp. We expect a well-paid job. That's good. But what do you expect about Christ, the God-man? You know, we're going to be disappointed with many, most of things in life. But Christ never, ever disappoints. He surpasses all our expectations. So how do you value him? How's your relationship with Christ? Do you have a high view of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you growing daily in your relationship with him? Are you with people that are growing in, in their relationship with him? Are you convinced that we, he will never, ever forsake you? Do you yield your preferences? Do you yield your will over his? Or do you follow him? Do you worship him as king? Do you think that thanks to his ministry as priest, you right now, every time, you have direct access to God? Have you thought that he is right now seated at the right hand of God and he's about to come and defeat and rule over all to establish his kingdom where we will live? Doesn't he surpass all your expectations, does he? Everything else will disappoint you. But Christ will blow you away every single day for the rest of the, the eternity. And you know what? Maybe you're here this morning and you barely understood anything I said, mainly because of my accent. I understand. I'm not offended. But you know what? Understand this. Jesus Christ is God. He is King. He has the power to forgive your sins and rule over your life. He is priest also. He has allowed you, he has the power for you to have an otherwise impossible relationship with God the Father. Because he's holy and you're not. I don't let my kids to come into the house with their feet dirty. Think about the Lord, God, holy, 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 letting sin into his home. Impossible, but through Christ. He is also judged. He will judge and rule over his unrepentant enemies. But he is calling you right now for you to trust him. He is the all-sufficient Savior that will surpass your expectations. I know that because I live that. I know that because the book says it. And he doesn't disappoint. Like a time capsule disappoints, like a relationship disappoints. Come to him. He is the hidden treasure. He's the pearl of great price. Only he can surpass all your expectations because he and he only is the eternal God and Savior. Let's pray.
Lord, as we just gleam a little bit, scratch the surface of who you are, and we learn theology that is so good, truth from your word, that you are king and priest and a judge and a warrior. Lord, we are in awe of you. And we want to worship you because we're servants, we're sinners. We only bring our sin to this relationship and we need you desperately. Father, thank you for sending him, for thinking the, the only possible solution for our salvation no man could die in our place. Only Jesus Christ, the perfect one, God, did. And today here, River Bend or Spain or wherever we are, we can access to you because of this. And security of our salvation and confidence that no matter how big the trial is, you have secured us. And you love us with the same love you love the Son and you want a relationship with us that is going to last forever as we are going to admire you day after day after day, always learning something more and new about you for the rest of the eternity. And you are going to surpass all our expectations in a way that we cannot fathom. So we worship you and thank you today and tomorrow morning when our job doesn't go well, or our kids don't obey, or the hurricane comes. We worship you always for what you've done through your son. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.